Well, this morning I want to start off with a little bit of a confession. And that is that ever since I was little, I've wanted one thing. And I don't know when I, I started wanting this one thing, but it, it, it pervades my earliest memories. And even when I was a fifth grader at Pine Street Elementary School, home of the Roadrunners, I wanted this one thing. And so I ran for class president. And then when I was in middle school, some of you might not know this, that I play the French horn, but I began learning the French horn, and because I wanted this one thing, I began to practice all the time so that I could become first chair. And then in middle school and high school, I studied a great deal so that I could achieve this one thing. In college, I joined all sorts of clubs and organizations, all of that. And even now, I go to a lot of conferences, I work really hard, I probably stress more than I should, all because I want this one thing thing. And this one thing is something that our culture tells us that we should pursue at every corner. And the pursuit of it has caused stress in many families. It's caused people to work long hours. It's caused divorces. It's called kids to not enjoy their childhood. And this one thing has actually led Survivor, the TV show, to now be in its 35th season. Can you believe that? 35 seasons. Because people are always going after this thing, and other people love watching people go after this thing. And the interesting thing about this thing is that when you're going after it, people celebrate you. And when you get it, people often applaud you, and it can often come with great rewards. But then once you attain it, a lot of other people turn their back on you. And this one thing is greatness. Greatness. Deep down, I think that we all want to be great. We want to be a great husband. We want to be a great wife. We want to be a great son. We want to be a great daughter. We want to be great at our job or in our workplace. We want to be on the greatest sports team. And if we can't be the greatest, we at least want to be near the greatest. If we can't be at the top, we at least want to hang out with people who are at the top. And all of this would be fine, except for the fact that our definitions of greatness are often different than the definition of greatness that Jesus has. You see, in our world, and the way I've kind of lived it throughout my entire life, is that greatness is based on how many people are below you. And so... In our jobs, we want to be at the top of the org chart, right? We want everybody else reporting up to us. In sports rankings, what number do you want to be in sports? Number one. And it hurts when you're number two. Or number ten. We want to be number one, and we want to have nine other teams looking up to us. We all want to be the greatest or at the top, and if we can't be at the top, we at least want to be near the top. But our definition of greatness is often different than Jesus' definition of greatness. And so this morning, I want us to look at the Scriptures and look at what it really means to be great or to be first in God's kingdom. And to do that, we're going to be looking at James and John and a conversation they have with Jesus. And James and John are two of Jesus' disciples who spent a lot of time with Him, who hung out with Him, who learned from Him. They actually had many conversations about greatness with Jesus, but it was kind of hard for them to get. 
And so we find them having another conversation with Jesus this morning in our scripture lesson. Our scripture this morning comes from Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse 35. And so you can find it on the back of your bulletin, or um, if you don't have a Bible, when the service is over, we'd love for you to have a Bible at our Welcome Center as a free gift to you this morning. But I want to read this scripture with you where we see this interesting interaction between Jesus, James, and John, and the other disciples. And so beginning in verse 35, here's what Mark writes. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? And here Jesus is making reference to his suffering. He's told them multiple times that he's going to suffer and die, but that they're still not getting it. But they answer, we can. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. And here Jesus is referring to the, the ten other, Mark's referring to the ten other disciples. And do you see why they're getting mad? They're getting mad because if James and John have the top two slots, where does that put them? Below them. But no, 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 they want to be in the top slots. They don't want other people in the top slots, so they get mad because they're getting pushed out. And then Jesus has kind of a family meeting. He calls them all together, and he tells them this. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, but not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, when James and John come to Jesus, trying to be great, trying to get these top slots, Jesus turns their view of greatness on its head. He flips it upside down and he said, look, the path to greatness, it's actually not paved with glory. It's actually paved with inward and outward suffering. And Jesus has told them this many times. They've had conversations about greatness before, but the disciples don't seem to get it. Jesus has told them multiple times that he's going to die now. But they still don't seem to get it. And so Jesus tries to make it plain with the disciples. And I don't know if you've read much in the Bible, but Jesus has a lot more patience with the disciples than I ever would. I would probably would have abandoned them earlier. But Jesus has patience with them, and he ex- makes it very explicit for them. And he explains to them, hey guys, look. In your view, and in our world, greatness is defined by how many people are below you. But in my kingdom, it's different. In my kingdom, greatness is based upon how many people you put above you. How many people you put above yourself in self-giving, sacrificial love. 
He makes it plain for them. But then it seems to go in one ear and right out the other because if you look in verse 36 and you keep going in this story, you'll find that right after this, they're leaving Jericho, they're going to Jerusalem, Jesus, his disciples, and the whole crowd. And as they're going, there's a blind man on the side of the road and he's calling out to Jesus to be healed. And you know what happens? The disciples in the crowd, they shush him. And they say, be quiet. Jesus doesn't have time for you. Basically, they're saying to him, look, this guy is great. This guy is the greatest of all time, and Jesus does not have time for you. And Jesus sees what's going on. And he stops. He looks at the man. He asks him what he needs. And the man says, I want to see again. And so Jesus gives him the gift of sight, and the man begins to follow him and follow him throughout his life. The disciples are so hard-headed that Jesus has to give them another real-life example right after he explains it to them. And I think he has to do this because this is one of the hardest things to unlearn in our culture about what it means to truly be great. And if you think about it, Jesus' whole life was an example of greatness. His whole life was an example of putting other people above himself. I mean, that's what he did with the poor. That's what he did with the blind, with the outcasts, with the widows. Jesus, in his culture and time, raised women up rather than brought them down. He did it with the prostitutes. He, he did it with the lepers. He did it with all of these different people. And ultimately, upon the cross, we see the pinnacle of Jesus' self-giving and sacrificial love. As he gave up his life and as he suffered for you and for me, as he put us before his own comfort, his own interest, and his own life so that we could have a renewed relationship with God. Jesus did all of that for you and for me. He exemplified what true greatness is. That's the good news of the gospel. That Jesus Christ willingly gave of himself, put us before his own life so that we could have a renewed relationship with God. He is the suffering servant who day in and day out selflessly put other people above himself and he calls us as his disciples to do the same thing. To put other people before ourselves. But this is hard. And if you live in the world I live in, you know this is very difficult. Because our culture is constantly telling us to put our own interests first, to get our own lives together, to become the greatest, and then once we're the greatest, then we can help out everybody else below us. And our greatness will just kind of trickle down to them. And in our world, when we think about selflessly serving other people, so often it's just a checkbox. So when you're in school, your teachers and your clubs, they ask you, they say, hey, have you done your community service? Because we need to check that box off. And then when you're trying to get a job, once you get out of school, you got to have community service on your resume, right? You're like, i got to pad up my resume. i got to look good for the employers. And so we put some community service on our resume, and we check it off. And then we go into the workforce, and then the workforce sends out an email and says, hey, guys, guess what? Now part of our corporate rankings is how much time we spend serving other people and doing philanthropic things. And so they say, hey, look, you've got to get five hours of service every month, and once you do, email us, and then we can check it off. But Jesus isn't talking about checking off a box here. He's talking about us serving other people as a lifestyle. 
every day, day in and day out, putting other people before ourselves. Putting other people's interests above our own. Stopping, seeing people, asking what their needs are, and then meeting their needs. It requires us every day to say, how can I put other people before myself? Or as we talked about last week, it requires us every hour and every moment to stop and to say, how can I lift others up? And some of you here might think that as a pastor, I I have this all figured out and I just selflessly live all of my days and I just give of myself all of the time, but that it's hard for me. It's hard for me at times because I get I get in the zone, I get my to-do list, I have my calendar, I have my tasks. And sometimes I, I get tunnel vision and I can't see the other people around me. And a few years ago, I had a Friday off, which is typically my Sabbath day. And I was driving to the park, went to the park, went on a long run, which is one of the things I like to do. And I was driving home and I was driving down a major highway to my house and something caught me out of the side of my eye. I didn't know what it was, but it, it, I just saw something. I didn't know what it was. But I said, you know what? I don't have anything better to do today, so I'll turn around and, and go check it out. So I turned my car around, drove over, pulled off to the side of the road, and there was a steep embankment. And so I, I kind of climbed down and scrambled the embankment. And there at the bottom... I found what I had seen out of the corner of my eye. And it was an older gentleman, probably 70 years old, lying on the ground. And his walker was thrown down by his side. And so I I scrambled down the embankment. I I put him above myself. I lifted him up. And then I saw that his face was bleeding and he, he was kind of already starting to scab up. And I asked him what had happened. He said that he had gotten so old that he couldn't live at his house now by himself. So he was having to stay with his kids. But one of his um, kids said, you know, hey, can you go check the mail at your house? So he had pulled over that day to check the mail. His car was in the driveway right there. And as he was getting the mail, he fell down in that ditch. So I helped him get cleaned up a little bit got him in his car, he, he said that he was okay and that he was good to go. And I couldn't help but think, how many people drove by him that day? How many people didn't see him or failed to stop? And you might think I patted myself on the back, but I didn't pat myself on the back. Instead, I said to God, God, How many times have I driven past people like this guy? How many times have I failed to see people in need because I was so busy and so focused on myself? God, how many times? And you know what? I didn't have to wait for God to answer me because I knew the answer. And the answer was many times. I had done that many, many times. Serving other people and putting them above ourselves is hard. 
And I think that's one reason why we need the church. Because as we gather for worship and as we gather with each other, we're reminded of who Jesus is. We're reminded that he is the one who selflessly gave his life for us. And we're also reminded of who we're called to be. People who go out and who share his love and who serve other people. And I'm grateful that this church serves other people in so many different ways. I mean, we, we served so many people this year at Return to Bethlehem as we shared the love of Jesus and the story of his birth and its significance with hundreds of people in this community. We do amazing things. Some of y'all bring food every single week for backpack buddies, and you put it out there so kids in Henry County can have food on the weekends and in the evenings. This past year, we did Operation Christmas Child, and we sent shoeboxes of gifts and discipleship materials went along with them to kids all over the world. We, we collected goods for, for Puerto Rico and for Houston and beyond. We serve so many people in different ways, and I love that about us. I love it because it reshapes us and it reorients us. And what we learn in the Bible is that when we serve other people and we put them above ourselves, two amazing things happen. The first thing that happens is we encounter Jesus Christ. Matthew 25, Jesus tells us that whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. And so in some mysterious way that I can't always figure out, when we're serving other people, we're actually serving Jesus and having an encounter with him. And so this morning, if you feel like you're stuck in your spiritual life or you know what, that God doesn't seem real to you lately or God has never seemed real to you lately, I want to encourage you to go out and to serve somebody. Because Jesus says, when you do that, you will have an encounter with me. That's the first thing that happens. We encounter God. But the second thing that happens is when we selflessly serve other people with the love of God in our hearts, they encounter God and His Son, Jesus Christ, as well. And in our culture, where where less and less people are coming to church and know anything about Jesus, this part is crucial. And my friend, Matt Leroy, he puts it this way. He says, selfless, self-sacrificing love cuts through guarded opposition to the gospel. There is no more eloquent articulation of the gospel than love that gives itself away. You see, in a world where people are skeptical of the claims of Christianity in their heads, when we serve them with open hands and without strings attached in the name of Jesus and with the love of Jesus, oftentimes it cuts straight to their hearts. And they have a profound encounter with Jesus. And their lives can be transformed. So when we serve, we meet Jesus, but then also other people meet Jesus as well. Those are two amazing things that happen. And that brings me to the part of the message I'm most excited to share with you this morning. Because as most of you know, in June of last year, I was appointed here to serve by our bishop, Bishop Sue Hopper Johnson. And when I came to the church... One of the first things I did with our amazing kind of transition team that we had was to go on a listening tour. 
Doesn't that make it sound so official and great? A listening tour. So I went on a listening tour so that you could get to know me a little bit better, so that I could get to know you. And in those tours, we talked with over 100 people in this church. And we asked a few basic questions. One of them was, what's one thing I should know about Harvest Point? The second one was, what is one way we can reach new people? And the third question was, what is one dream you have for this church? And we documented all the answers, analyzed all the data, And as we looked at it, I mean, there was a lot of different answers, but there was one consistent theme throughout those conversations. And that theme is at the heart of our vision as a church in 2018, which I want to share with you this morning. And this theme was one that people in this church, that's you, that's us, said over and over again, we want to love, serve, and share the love of God with other people, especially people in our community. And so after prayer, after conversations with with different leaders, after lots of kind of listening and talking with other people, I want to share with you the vision for Harvest Point in 2018, and that is this. This year, we're going to share the love of Jesus Christ by serving and blessing 10,000 people in our community. We're going to share the love of Jesus Christ by blessing and serving 10,000 people in our community. All right. And that includes single moms who are living down the street. That includes families in, in Nicaragua. That includes people who are rich and people who are poor. It includes people of all races. It includes people who look like they have it all together and people whose lives are clearly falling apart. We're going to serve and we're going to share the love of Jesus with people who are running towards God and people who are running away from God as fast as they can. And we're going to do that in a number of different ways. We're going to do it by partnering with our local schools like Hampton High School and other schools. We're going to do it by getting involved in the community like we did at the McDonough Christmas Parade and we're going to be at the festivals and we're going to try to have a presence in this community and let people know that we're for them, that we want to bless them and that God loves them. We're going to do it by bringing back Faith in Action Sunday. Some of you all know about those. That's where on Sunday morning we're going to gather here. We're going to say a prayer and then our worship that morning is going to be going out and serving other people in this community. We're going to do it in a lot of different ways. We're going to do Return to Bethlehem again, and guess what? We're going to hope and plan and expect for more people. And we're going to serve in many ways we have in the past and in many new ways as well. We're going to begin going out, not begin, we're going to continue and reemphasize and make it our first priority this year to go out beyond these four walls and to go out and to share the love of Jesus with all people and to put them above ourselves just like Jesus did. And we're going to invite them to come here as well. But the emphasis is going to be on us going out, us serving other people. And 10,000 people might seem like a lot, I don't know. But according to some data that we have access to through a program called Mission Insight that can do demographic studies of areas, within a five-mile radius of this church, 
there are 45,963 people within a five-mile radius. Now, within a 10-mile radius, that number gets crazy big. But within a five-mile radius, there are 45,963 people. And you know what breaks my heart? Is that over half of them, according to the data that we have, don't have a church home. Over 50% of people within a five-mile radius aren't connected to the body of Christ. And so this year, we're going to go to them. We're going to serve them in the name of Jesus. We're going to bless them, and then we're going to go beyond. And as we do it, we're going to try to track the data as well so that we know and so that we can hold ourselves accountable as a church. And so when we serve other people and we're able to get a number, we're going to track the numbers. And it's not because we're all about the numbers, it's because every number has a name behind it. And when you're serving as well, we don't want this to just be a church thing, we want this to be your life thing. When you're serving other people as a family or in your workplace or any other ways, we want you to send us information. Let us know how you're serving other people. Send us stories so that we can celebrate it as we all go after this together. And we've already started doing this. We're actually already over 200. And some of these people in the 200 have names like Jordan, like Jason, like Tony. Because just a few weeks ago, we actually hosted the Luella High School football team here in our worship center. Because this space is one of the greatest resources that we have right now. And so, thanks to a relationship that Ross Cooper, our director of student ministries, has with Luella High School and their football program, he said to them, hey, I know you have your event every year, your annual banquet in the cafeteria, but what if you had it at our church? It'd be a little different. It'd kind of get you out of the school. And they were open to it. And so we have some pictures here. And we, um, we opened up the church. We, we had some different things going on. And they transformed this space into something amazing. I mean, it's amazing right now, but they decorate, you know, everybody came in and they spent hours decorating it. And we welcomed over 200 people who live within this school district to this church. And they had an amazing dinner. They got their awards. They had fun. And you know, a lot of people said when they came here, they said, wow, I didn't even know this church was on this road. Used to be a dirt road. But as they came here, they were blessed. They were blessed, and as they went out that night, they kept saying, thank you. Thank you for hosting us. Thanks so much. But all I could say in return to them was, no, thank you. Thank you for coming and for being our guest. Thank you for letting us bless you, because that's who we are as a church. That's who we are as Harvest Point. We're a church that wants to serve other people, a church that wants to bless other people. And so for us to live out this vision and to make it a reality, for us to serve 10,000 people, it's going to take all of us working together. It's going to take all of us working together and pooling our resources, our time, our talents and abilities, our financial resources, other resources, our planning, all of it. It's going to take all of us working together. But I believe that God 
is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And so if you're in for this vision, I want you to do a thumbs up. We'll do a silent count. I don't want to do it out loud in case it's not, not a lot. No. Nah. Yeah. We're going to do it with God's help. And with the Holy Spirit empowering us. So I invite you to start opening up your eyes. Opening up your hands. And selflessly putting others above yourself. Because that's what we're going to do as a church this year. And this isn't going to be the last time you hear about it. You're going to hear about it again and again and again. And one of the things in the listening tour that kept happening. And I'll invite the band to come on up wherever they are hidden away. One of the things that happened on the listening tour is that people would often ask me, well, hey, what are your answers to these questions? What's one dream you have for Harvest Point? And I have many dreams for this church, and they continue to grow, but I want to share with you one dream I have for this church as we close this morning. And that dream is that a year from now, on January... 21st, 2019, that I would look out in this space and that there would be tons of people that I did not know or recognize. They'd be people all ages. There'd be little kids running around, being really loud. There would be people of all nations, all races, and I would look out and I wouldn't know them well, but then I would go in the lobby and I would see y'all. I would see faces I do know welcoming them in the parking lot, at the doors. You'd be talking with them over coffee. You'd be welcoming them to this place. And in this dream, I will be doing one of the things I love to do, and that's to go up to guests and to people who are new at the church and just ask them my favorite question, and that's, how did you hear about Harvest Point? My dream is that I would go to somebody and they would say, oh, Harvest Point, yeah. Yeah. I heard y'all were one of the greatest churches in the community. I heard that y'all are always trying to love and serve other people, so I wanted to come and check it out. And then I would go to somebody else. And I would ask them, hey, how did you hear about Harvest Point? And they would say, well, actually, this last year was a really tough one for me. My family and I, we were struggling with lots of different ways, but somebody from this church helped me out when I was in a bind and they, they really showed me love. And then finally I would go to somebody else and I would say, hey, how did you hear about Harvest Point? And they would answer, I actually work with a lot of different people from the church. And I grew up in church, but I haven't been in a very long time. But lately I've been kind of reading my Bible, opening up and reading about Jesus' life. And as I read about his life, I realized that my coworkers who go to this church, they, they reminded me of Jesus. And so I wanted to come and I wanted to check it out and see what Harvest Point was about. That's my dream for this church, for this next year. And I know that God can make it a reality and I know that God 
is leading us to go beyond ourselves, to go beyond the walls of this church and to bless, to love, and to serve so many people. And so as we close and sing our final song today, I want to invite you to stand as we pray, asking God to make this a reality. Heavenly Father, we come before you as a church today with our hearts open to you, with our minds open to your scripture, and with our hands open to serving other people. And God, we pray that you would expand our territory in 2018. God, that we would move beyond where we've been, that you would open up new relationships in this community with the schools and with nonprofits and other people doing great work. God, we pray that you would open up our eyes to see people in need around us. And God, that you would give us the gift of humility and the gift of the heart of a servant so that we can serve bless and share your love with 10,000 people in this community and beyond. God, we know that you can do all things. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit would fill us this morning, fill us as a church, and that you would guide us this year as we put serving other people first in our life together. We thank you for this day, and we ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus who is the greatest of all time. Amen.